So from the biblical creation narrative, one of the things we learn is that we're living in this world in a different way than God originally intended. So we're living out our days straight out of Eden. And how do we do that faithfully? In a way that honors God and creation and each other. The first two Sundays of this series, we've considered our role in caring for creation and being fruitful in our work. If you missed either one of those, I think they might make perfect drive time podcasts for you or maybe a good interruption instead of watching that fourth straight episode of whatever show you're into on Netflix. But today we're going to turn our attention to the idea of living a localized faith. That living locally is a way that we faithfully and fruitfully participate in creation. Because in an ever-globalizing world where national news is the news and emerging foreign markets are the holy grail, in a culture of big-box retail, business consolidations, economies of scale, Corporations too big to fail, we run the risk of looking right past our neighbors and losing sight of our place right here at home. And generations that are coming into adulthood now are not drawn to shopping malls and megaplexes or being the next important cog in the wheel at Big Blue, or living in a big subdivision full of little boxes on the hillside, little boxes made of ticky-tacky. Now what people want and need is to live and work and play in a community, a place they call home. Actually, this week had somebody who's a part of Chapel Roswell tell me that that's their story, that she and her husband moved back to Roswell, starting a family, got connected with Chapel Roswell, and they did that because of the desire, the draw to be living and working, shopping and volunteering, their kids going to school in a community with people that they know. And share their lives with. I think that's what makes the church special. That it's community driven. Collaborative. It's you all living and sharing life and faith in the round. That's why we were at Alive in Roswell this past Thursday. Inviting all of our neighbors to come and add their thumbprints to the painting of the earth that you guys did a few weeks ago in here as a way to say, we see you. We're with you. We are in this together. Because there's something inside us. We were created for community, for connections, for collaboration. And the more we live into that, 
locally, right here at home, the more we experience the richness and the fullness of our faith, our shared collaborative faith. And the perfect example of living locally is the story of Ruth in the Bible. So Ruth is a book in the Old Testament, and it starts with Naomi and her husband Elimelech and their two sons living in Bethlehem, but they have to flee their home to escape a famine. And so they move to a foreign country, to Moab, which is on the other side of the Dead Sea. And while they're there, Elimelech dies, leaving Naomi a widow. Their two sons marry while they're in Moab. They marry Moabite women by the names of Orpah and Ruth. But after some time, the two sons die as well. So that leaves the three widows, Naomi and her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. So Naomi decides to go back to her home in Bethlehem, to her people. And she prepares to leave and make that journey, and she turns to her daughters-in-law. Remember, all three of them widowed. And she tells them, you need to go back to your homes, to your families. And one of them, Orpah, agrees, takes her up on it, says, you know, may God bless you. I'm going back to mama and them. Ruth, however, refuses. And there's actually a really beautiful scene in chapter 1 of the book of Ruth where Ruth is talking to Naomi and she says, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And where you're buried, I will be buried. In that moment, Ruth says, Naomi belongs to me, and I belong to her. So, Ruth and Naomi return to Bethlehem. And they arrive in Bethlehem during the harvest season. The problem is they have no husbands, no immediate family for support, no fields that they've planted, so no source of food for themselves. So Ruth goes to glean food for her and her widowed mother-in-law, Naomi. So gleaning, not a common practice today. But the concept is go, someone goes into a field and picks up the bits of grain and wheat that have been left behind after the harvest. And their hope is to gather up enough of what has been left, the scraps, to be able to have enough to eat. So Ruth goes to the field to glean for her and Naomi. So Ruth's gleaning is an extremely localized way that she lived out her faith and her understanding of divine love, gathering food from the field nearby. And I said it's not a common practice today. I actually heard an NPR story a few years ago about an organization called the Society of St. Andrew. So this is a national gleaning organization. The, the article cited the U.S. Department of Agriculture statistic that there are 96 billion 
pounds of food that are left in fields every year. And so the Society of St. Andrew organizes volunteers to go into the fields with permission and glean the food that's been left behind by the harvesters, the machines that go through the fields to harvest. They often leave a lot left on the ground and and even stuff that gets left because it's not just perfect for you and I when we go to the grocery store to find that tomato that's just, you know, just right. And so they organize volunteers to go behind and gather up that food to distribute to organizations that help feed hungry people, shelters, pantries, kitchens. And they operate here in Georgia and always welcome volunteers. Quite literally, gleaning is a way today that we can put our faith into action locally, like Ruth, to embody the kingdom of God. Or there are other ways that we can put the idea or the concept of gleaning, of gathering up the extra and the leftover to give to people who are going without. There are other ways we can do that. I know of at least one person here in Chapel Roswell who volunteers to go pick up unsold bread at supermarkets and take it to organizations in town who help feed hungry people. She's in here today. You could probably do that. They always need more help. Her name's Donna. I could put you in touch with her. We also have a few strategic community partners here locally that always welcome help and contributions. You can find information about them on our website. You just go to chapelroswell.com slash serve Roswell. They always welcome volunteers, contributions, I hope, if nothing else today, you'll check out that website and look for a way that you can participate with one of our strategic partners here in the community. See, gleaning or or getting the excess resources into the hands of the people who need it, well, it can have more than a physical effect, too, more than just feeding someone who's hungry. It can affect us on a deeper level. I read an interesting op-ed piece in the New York Times by someone named Gracie Olmsted. The title of the article was, Can Localism Restore Sanity to U.S. Politics? This is, I'll quote something from the article. We are more likely to know about Mr. Trump's latest tweet than we are about the latest town meeting. If citizens turn off cable news and instead step outside their front doors, seeking to care for their communities, they may help fight back some of the anger that has fractured our politics. For those who volunteer together at a local soup kitchen, homeless shelter, Rotary Club, or Boy Scout troop, national battles matter much less than local tangible needs. See, when we're willing to hone in our gaze to the person and people and places right here next to us and around us and closest to us. We're able to see everyday, ever-present ways to participate in the healing of the broken places in our world. So Ruth's gleaning on behalf of Naomi is a way she lived her faith locally. But another main character in the story who lived his faith locally is Boaz. 
So Boaz was the man who owned the field where Ruth was gleaning. And when he saw Ruth gleaning in his field and didn't know who she was, he asked his workers about her. And when he found out her name, he went and had a conversation with her. And that's what I want to read for us this morning from Ruth chapter 2. I'm going to read some selected verses from this conversation between Boaz and Ruth. And we're going to put it up on the screen so you can follow along. This is what it says. Boaz said to Ruth, Haven't you understood, my daughter? Don't go glean in another field. Don't go anywhere else. Instead, stay here with my young women. Keep your eyes on the field that they are harvesting and go along after them. I've ordered the young men not to assault you. Whenever you're thirsty, go to the jugs and drink from what the young men have filled. Then at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, eat some of the bread, and dip your piece in the vinegar. She sat alongside the harvesters, and he served roasted grain to her. She ate, was satisfied, and had leftovers. Then she got up to glean. Boaz ordered his young men, Let her glean between the bundles, and don't humiliate her. Also, pull out some from the bales for her. And leave them behind for her to glean. And don't scold her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. See, Boaz is another example of what it looks like to live out your faith locally. He owned the field where Ruth was gleaning. And he had a decision to make when he saw her going through his field and picking up from his harvest. And it's important to remember that Ruth was a non-status person in that community. She was a foreigner from a different country, a refugee. She was the widowed daughter-in-law of a widow. She had no immediate family to help her or vouch for her. She had no property, no place, no future. And her story, by the way, is now enshrined in the Holy Scriptures of the Jewish and Christian faiths with a book that bears her name. So don't ever think that your lack of status or possessions excludes you from making an everlasting kingdom of God impact. Not only does Boaz let Ruth glean in his fields, he even gives her extra, affirms her, protects her. And as you keep reading the story, he eventually marries her. Because it was a custom in the Jewish faith that if a relative of yours died and he was married and didn't have any sons to carry on the family name, then it was your obligation as a relative to take his wife as your own. And what they discovered was that Boaz was a relative of Elimelech who had died. And so it was Boaz's obligation actually to take Naomi as his wife But Naomi was up in age, saw more future for Ruth than for herself, and so she actually arranged a swap, if you will, and said, Ruth, you should be the one to marry Boaz. And so Boaz marries Ruth. They had a term for this. When when you married the spouse, the widow of a deceased family member, It's called being a kinsman redeemer. Because what you do is you restore, redeem, 
the family, the bloodline, the place in the community of that loved one. And so Boaz was a kinsman redeemer for Elimelech, Naomi, Ruth. And in restoring their bloodline and their place in the community, if you keep reading, you find that Boaz and Ruth have a son named Obed. And Obed has a son named David, who becomes the second king of the nation of Israel, who the Bible calls a man after God's own heart. It took a few generations for that localized faith of Ruth and Boaz to produce David. And it took many more generations for that bloodline to produce Jesus, the Christ. In fact, if you go to the book of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, first chapter of the book of Matthew, you read the genealogy of Jesus. And about halfway through there, you'll find the name Boaz, whose son was Obed, whose son was David. Also, you only find a couple of women mentioned in that lineage that leads to Jesus, sadly. It was a patriarchal society back then. But one of the women that is mentioned is the grandmother of David, Ruth. And you can read down from David the lineage, the line, that eventually gives us the person of Jesus, the Christ. So Ruth and Boaz never saw what they're living their localized faith would produce generations later. And you know what the Israelites felt and did for family, kinsmen, redeemers? Jesus extends to all of God's children, regardless of race or color, history or mystery, nationality or sexuality. The followers of Jesus are modern-day kinsmen redeemers for our community. And it begins right here, with us, in us, among us. And we may never see the payoff. It may be generations from now. But it starts with us being present and aware in our own neighborhoods, in our own community, gleaning Getting excess resources into the hands of those who need them. Sharing with people. Giving cover to people. Speaking out for people who are marginalized or who are going without. It is our place, our role in the kingdom of God as the church. God's work in the world today. To live our faith locally in such a way that we can be the kinsmen redeemers for our people, for our neighbors. That's what this meal is all about. It's the embodiment of Jesus being the kinsman redeemer for the world. Of God 
claiming all of us as God's own. Calling us God's children. Adopting us, making us heirs in the family of God. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This was God coming to live right here with us, locally. And saying, I love you. So much so that I would give my life for you, and I will. So this meal embodies for us that gift of love, of redemption. That Jesus gave his life for us. And so when we share in it, when we gather at the table together, when we come close to each other, when we share in this meal side by side, shoulder to shoulder, brothers and sisters, across all the things that may make us different than each other, or in some ways and in other places would divide us from each other, when we come and we share in this meal together, when we live our faith right here next to each other, God promises to meet us here, to do something in us and among us, redeeming us, setting us free, making us whole, healing the broken places, filling us up, nourishing us, feeding us, empowering us to go out from here and be the church in our world, in our community, right here in Roswell. And so in just a minute, we'll prepare the table and people will take places around the room with bread and juice and we'll invite you to come and share in this meal with us. When Jesus shared this meal with his disciples, the night before he was arrested, crucified, he took the bread and he broke it and he told them and he told us, he said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it and every time you do, remember me. And then he took the cup he said, this is my blood, poured out for you and for many, everywhere, down through history, for the forgiveness of sin. Take it and drink it, and every time you do, remember me. And so that's what we do today. We share in the bread and the juice, the body and blood of Christ remembering our redemption and the redeeming work that God is doing in us and through us for the world. So the, the people who are going to assist in serving communion, I'd like to ask you if you'd come forward now. And as they come, I'll just give a few instructions, please, some logistics. Uh, we're going to have four stations of communion on the floor here around the center, and we'll have one for each balcony that will come up there. Each station will have bread and juice, when you come forward, they'll break off a piece of the bread and hand it to you. And then you dip that in the juice and receive the body and blood of Christ for yourself in that way. We'll have a gluten-free station that'll be by this pillar right back here. 
So if you require gluten-free elements, I just invite you to go to the station back there. As you come forward, we'll start from the front rows and work our way back, please, and we're just going to trust the process to you. If you will, come out of the row to your left. So if you'll exit the row on your left, come by the station that's right in front of your section, receive the bread and the juice, and then go back to your seat from the right. That'll create a flow of traffic that will hopefully work. And please know that you don't have to be a member of this church or any church to come and share in this meal. We have an open communion table. We just invite you to come with an open heart. A confessional spirit that you might receive the forgiveness, the love, the grace, and the redemption of God in Jesus Christ at his table. When you come, this is also the time that we give back to God our offering or our tithe. And the ways that you can do that are up on the screen in front of you right now. You can do it digitally or we have baskets by the doors you can put your offering in. Also, we have people who are available to pray with you. If there's something going on in your life right now that you would like someone to pray with you for, we'll have people by the stained glass windows back here behind me on either side. They have name tags. They see our care. They're there to pray with you. And we have the pots that we gave away on Easter that, you can, that have plants in them that you can grow. They're on either side of the platform back here beside me. So if you didn't get one of those or you want to give one to somebody as a way to symbolically participate in this care of creation that we're celebrating by growing a little something at your home, I'd invite you to grab one, two, or however many of those as you go by as well. But I want to ask you if we could pray a blessing over this meal. And then we'll serve the servers, they'll take their places, and we'll invite you to come. God, we are thankful today for redemption. That in the example of Ruth and Boaz, who lived out their faith right where they were, that you worked in that to bring redemption for them, for their family, and ultimately for the world. God, we're thankful for the redemption that we know in Jesus. It brings new life, full, real life, the way you created us to experience it. As we share in this meal, God, would you remind us Restore us. Fill us up again to overflowing with an awareness of the life you've given us. And God, we give ourselves to you again to be a part of your redemptive work as we live it out right here, starting right here at home. God, it is our prayer that your redemptive work would continue even more today tomorrow and the next day, that your kingdom would come. So as we share in this meal, God, would you bless this bread? Make it be for us the body of Christ. Bless this juice. Make it be for us the blood of Christ, that we together could be the body of Christ for the world redeemed by his blood. This is our prayer. 
In the name of Jesus. Amen.